And may the Lord uh, help us as we endeavor to cover the subject here today, Matthew chapter 18. I hope you're already there. Matthew chapter number 18. I'm glad God saw fit to save me. I really am. There's no greater life than serving Jesus Christ. And truly, to be able to know Him is to know life eternal. That's what Jesus said in John 17. And so, all the things that go on in this world is going to come and go. But for those who know Jesus, you'll be in heaven forever. When this life is done, the last amen is said, last breath is taken. It'll be wonderful to spend all eternity in heaven. My prayer every Sunday is that not only the subject matter that I'm dealing with here today would touch your heart, but it's always been my prayer that every person would know Christ as their Savior. We make no apologies about letting the gospel be known. I don't, I don't apologize for sounding, if you will, like a broken record every Sunday. Because the reason that I share every Sunday is because I find that people like me are stubborn. How many of you have a mate who is stubborn? <laughs> I'm just curious if you're going to be bold this morning. I'm married to somebody who's stubborn. We'll start the service this way. It'll be all right. You know what I mean? Get you in a big fight. Then I'm preaching on forgiveness. So you got to get right after everything's done. All right. But truthfully, every one of us like to dig in our heels when there's a spiritual truth that we need to deal with. And we often will use this phrase, we'll say, later, I'll take care of it. That's not for me. I don't need that. That's for that other person on the other side of the church. Now, let me tell you something. Every Sunday, God's speaking to you. As we get into this message today, my heart's burdened for people that are hurting today. And I want you to just ask God to help you to not only listen with your ears, but to hear with your heart and to respond to what God has for you today. So I'm going to pray for our message right now. And as I pray, would you just go ahead and just talk to the Lord yourself. Just ask him to speak to you here right now. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, I come humbly before you here today. I acknowledge my weakness before you. As the song that was sung, I confess the fact that I'm unworthy. Lord, you saw fit to give your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. I thank you for that day that by faith I I reached out and asked Jesus to save me. Oh, what a day that was. I pray that every person here today 
would know you, and if they cannot confidently say that Jesus is their Savior, may today be their day of salvation. Work in our heart as we go through this passage of Scripture. Guide us in these truths. Touch us, Lord, I pray. And we do ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. Would you call your attention, please, to Matthew chapter 18? I want to begin reading in verse number 21. I'm going to read till the end of the chapter because really all of this goes together, these verses. The Bible says in Matthew 18, verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? So before the Lord even answers, he goes ahead and gives what he thinks would be very noble. Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went out and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that, he had called him and said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? How the Lord crafted such a beautiful parable to help us see the truth of this very important subject of forgiveness. When I was a kid, I enjoyed cartoons, and one of the cartoons I really enjoyed was Calvin and Hobbes. In the book, Bill Watterson put together, titled The Essential Calvin and Hobbes, the character Calvin says to his tiger friend, Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry that I did it. 
Well, Hobbes suggested maybe you ought to apologize to her. Well, Calvin sat there and pondered that for a moment, and then he replied, I really keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. You know, many of us in this world who are dealing with guilt, broken relationships, we're in isolation, we have feelings of being alone, we're bitter about some things, it's possibly due to the fact that you have someone you need to get things right with, and yet you're looking for all the other solutions other than going and humbling yourself and seeking their forgiveness. But you know, it's not just in the church. It seems that that attitude is all around us in our society. We have a society today that is racially amped up and unwilling to forgive any of the injustices of the past. We live amongst neighbors who haven't spoken to certain family members in years. We live in Christian societies where church splits have taken place simply due to the fact that no one was willing to humble themselves. Isn't it amazing? You find a lot of First Baptists, but have you ever gone to a town and you've seen a Second Baptist church? Guess what happened? Those people at Second Baptist didn't like the people at First Baptist, and they decided, we're not dealing with this. We're going to go set our own, own church. There actually is a city in America where there is a Fourth Baptist church. Today, it's a good, solid church, but somehow down the way, there have been hurts and things have been dealt with. All of us live in the context of family units where there are relatives who've allowed differences to build up and it's caused tension in the family gatherings. Sadly, many of these people today, many of you are living in, in amongst strained relationships and it's taken a great toll on your psyche. When you think of the person or the situation that's hurt you, you become full of anger. Whenever you have idle time, you start playing that problem over and over in your mind. Instead of putting aside, you think about how you could get sweet little revenge on that person. And unbeknownst to you, your health, your overall spirit inside of you has been changed and you've become somewhat of a bitter person. What I'd like to do today in the next couple of weeks actually is address this very important issue of forgiveness and deal with it head on. The story is told that after the Civil War, the, the general of the Confederate Army, Robert E. Lee, happened to be visiting a lady that was in Kentucky who took him to the remains of a grand old tree that was in front of her house. And there, as she stood there with that great general, she bitterly cried and complained to him how this beautiful tree had such wonderful limbs and beautiful trunk, and yet everything of this tree had been destroyed because of federal artillery fire. And as she began with tears coming down her eyes and looking at the general, she looked from him for a condemning word of the North 
for all the damage that had been done, not just in front of her house, but all around where she lived. And she looked for some sympathy from the general. And after a brief silence, Lee said, cut the tree down, my dear madam, and forget it. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than to let bitterness take root and poison the rest of your life. And that's what's happened with many people today. They've allowed those bitternesses, those hurts and problems to fester in their life and not take care of them. They're looking for other solutions, for someone to do something to get back at them. And my friend, really where God is going and what he's going to be pointing at this next couple of weeks is that you and I would address the ugly monster known as unforgiveness and that we would not have a life that is weighed down by these heavy emotions. Let's go ahead and look at this parable that Jesus gave and see what forgiveness is all about. First of all, I'd like you to just talk briefly here and share with you about the setting of this particular passage. We read verses 21 to 35, but really there is a greater context that is talked about here. And if you were to go in the previous verses prior to verse 21, it is verses that were very commonly, uh, we commonly know that Jesus deals with about the church. There is a few occasions in the gospel where Jesus addresses matters concerning the church you and I, that make up the body of believers. And one of those times happens to be in Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about what to do if you have a problem. In fact, I bet you're familiar with those verses. In verse number 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee. Let me go ahead and put it in very simple terms. Have you ever had another Christian hurt you? Oh, come on. I bet you have. I bet you it's happened over the years where you've had somebody who's named the name of Christ. Maybe they're a leader in the church. Maybe there's somebody that's been saved for a long time, but they've done something to you. They have hurt you. They have said something about you, and you've just bottled that up. And you've not dealt with it. You know, it's amazing how many times people come into church and they go, well, this ought to be the safest place. And yes, it should be the safest place. But I'm sad to say that even in a church setting, problems arise. Things happen. I have quoted this poem many times. You've probably heard it, but I think it is so, so well. It talks about this. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story. And you know, we get involved in ministry and classes and things with other people, and we learn that there are certain people that rub us the wrong way or that hurt us and do certain things, and there is conflict. But Jesus didn't just leave us here to just kind of let the conflict just be there, but he gave us a means of how to address those things. 
In other words, if you look back at verse 15, he talks about that, first of all, you go privately to the person you deal with it. If it's not addressed, then you grab two or three other people and you go to that person and try to make amends. And then if you cannot make it happen with those few people, then it is something that is brought before the leadership of the church and it is dealt with on a church level. But all of verses 15 through 20 have this goal in mind. It is restoration. You see, God did not establish you to be alone where you get hurt by somebody and you isolate yourself. And then maybe you gather in a few small friends again and you get hurt and you isolate yourself. God has created us to be with other people. When God created Adam, one of the things he said is, it's not good that man should be alone. And so therefore he created out of man, woman, and brought them together. And what's so valuable about the church is not that we could watch our service online. That is such an easy convenience. But church is not just watching it on our television. It is actually being with other people, gathering together, and enjoying that fellowship. But in the midst of that fellowship, conflicts arise. and Things must be dealt with. And so in this setting, here comes bumbling Peter. Are you familiar with Peter in the Bible? Peter is that man that is very impetuous. Peter's a man that speaks and then says, "Mm, I shouldn't have said that. Peter's a guy that if you want somebody to go ahead and interject something really quick, he's the guy that's going to go ahead and do that. So here it is, Peter comes along and actually has a question for the Lord based on what he shares about the church, about these trespasses and what to do with it. So he brings out the word, he says, Lord, let me ask you a question about forgiveness. And I love the question because it's very straightforward. But you also have to understand the reasoning of his question. He asked the question the way that he did. Remember the question now that we read? Lord, if I need to forgive somebody, should I forgive them seven times? Now you have to understand the day that Peter lived in. The rabbis of that day had this thought based on Amos chapter 1. They misinterpreted that scripture, but they basically said, look, if someone needs forgiveness from you, you can give them three chances to forgive them, but beyond that, you do what you want to do. So Peter thinks to himself, all right, three, let's go ahead and double that. And just in case, let me add one for good measure. Lord, if I forgive somebody seven times, will that be okay? That's very interesting here to note the humor of what Peter is giving. But can I say that while Peter is counting score and we're laughing about it, it's no different what we do. You and I have a tendency to keep score when it comes to being hurt. How many have ever heard this stated, or maybe you've said it? Well, this person has failed many times in this relationship, and I can't go on any longer. I'm not going to forgive them anymore. How about this? I can forgive this, but I'll never forgive somebody if they do this to me. I can forgive up to this point, but beyond that, they better watch out. 
You see, we laugh at Peter in the fact that Peter talked about, well, Lord, can I, can I go ahead and forgive maybe seven times? And really, as we laugh about Peter and his question of the Lord, it's really something that is ingrained in all of us. Because all of us seem to want to keep tallies of the hurts that have taken place in our life. And so with that thought now, I want to come here to not only the setting, the context that is given, but notice the question, the conditions that is given here. This question of Peter actually brings us two things. First of all, to me, it brings in Peter's confusion of what forgiveness is all about, but it also gladly brings in Christ's answer. Notice the confusion concerning forgiveness. Just like Peter, do you know what you and I do? We take our cue concerning what we ought to do with other people. We take our cue from the world. And I'd like to go ahead and help you share, help share with you today, what forgiveness is not. Because the reason many people do not want to forgive is because they've racked up in their mind all of the world's goodies and the various things that the world has said, well, you need to hold your ground here and you need to do this. Let me tell you something. Here's what forgiveness is not. It is not an excusing of the actions of that other person. It is not condoning what has been done. You see, as we'll notice in a few moments here, forgiveness is a letting go, and it's not saying, well, that was okay. It also doesn't mean that there's not consequences. Sometimes when people hurt you, there will be consequences to their actions. It doesn't mean that any of that's not going to come about. Forgiveness is not permitting them to go ahead and repeat those actions to you over and over. Some people think, well, if I forgive, I'm just going to be a doormat and they're just going to step all over me. No, no, this is not a condoning of it. This is not a allowing them to repeat those things. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. And how sad it is. That sometimes, that somebody who has hurt you over and over, you may forgive them, but there may have to be a separation for a period of time. Forgiveness also is not saying, well, I, 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 I must have to forget then if I'm going to forgive that person. No, no. I want to tell you something. It's not forgetting what they did because how many of you who have been hurt in the past by somebody or something really big have really forgotten about it? Oh, you've tried, I'll bet. Oh, I'm going to forget this. And you kind of get through and I'm going to shut this out of your mind, my mind. But I'm telling you what, we have that trap that's in our brains. That seems to hold those things in there. And truthfully, humanly speaking, it is impossible to forget those things. Some wrongs hurt more than others. Some of them have a very lifelong impact. And you and I will never be able to forget but we are called to forgive. Something else forgiveness is not. It's not saying that the relationship can be what it was once was before. Sometimes a relationship may have to change. In some cases, it may be appropriate and necessary to take a step back from a relationship that's been damaged by sin. And until that person gets himself right with God and stays right with God, then again, a separation may be necessary. 
So here it is, as Peter's asking this question, how interesting it is that he's thinking in the realm of keeping score, keeping a tally, but now notice Christ's answer. Christ's answer is almost as humorous as Peter's question is. Look what he says here in verse number 22. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, is Jesus telling us, all right, no, 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 not seven times, but I'll tell you what, 490 times, and on the 491st time, it's all up to you. You decide whether you want to forgive or not. No, no. Again, Jesus is not talking here about quantity. Jesus instead here is coming to the situation in answering Peter in this way by telling him, first of all, there is an unlimited number of our forgiveness for other people, but also here, Jesus in the parable is teaching us how to forgive. He's sharing with us, not all right, here's the scores that you keep. Here's what you do. But I want to tell you how you ought to go about forgiving. So now let's get into the next point here, the story, the story. Notice here the recognition of forgiveness, if you will. It's interesting how there are three main men in this parable. There is a king, there is a servant who is forgiven by that king, and then there is another servant who is not forgiven by that first servant. Now, sometimes we read this and we think to ourselves, who are these people? Well, it's interesting here. Jesus gave a parable. What is a parable? A parable literally is uh, an earthly story to convey a heavenly meaning. It's like a sermon illustration. Here, Jesus crafts in this way such a beautiful, powerful story to illustrate for us the truth that needs to be conveyed. And in this aspect, it is all about forgiveness. Jesus shares here about the king. It could very well be that this king was a ruler over a particular region. And under this king were various managers. They're referred to as servants. Managers slash servants that have a part of the region to take care of. Now, how did this first one owe so much? We, we're not sure what happened. Jesus doesn't give us those details because really those things are superfluous. It is important for us to get to the crux of the matter and to see this parable on forgiveness. But notice here the recognition of forgiveness. It is something interesting to see in verse 24 and 28, the word owed. The word owed means to be indebted to, obliged to rectify a debt. So how amazing it is to notice here that these who owed something, this first manager or servant owed a great sum to the king, another servant or manager owed a smaller sum to that first manager, and each one of them owed something. It's quite fascinating that this parable that's crafted by the Lord hinges on the metaphor of money and debt. You and I all understand the fact of owing a debt. If you have a car payment, you owe a debt. 
If you've got a credit card uh, bill, you owe that debt. If you go to the hospital and you have a certain amount that you must pay, it's a debt that you owe. So Jesus, as he crafts this scenario here, he brings out about someone that has to pay something. Notice the word debt that is used here in verse 27 and the forgiveness of it. Look at this in verse 27. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, this story teaches us in two ways what forgiveness is and why we should do it. First of all, I want you to know the story is a great analogy about a man owing a debt and he gets released from the debt. But second of all, notice in the passage the word forgive that is used. Here in this passage, as well as through the New Testament, there's a great meaning of the word forgive. The very Greek word here for forgive means this to send away, to release from bondage or imprisonment. Now, you and I understand the word forgive when it comes to our salvation in Christ. How many of you are here today and are saved and born again? Would you lift your hand up for just a moment? Praise God. Amen. I'm glad that you're saved today. Now, the day that you asked Jesus to be your Savior, do you remember that day? You remember praying and asking the Lord to forgive you of all your sins? What happened on that day? When you prayed and you recognized before God and you admitted that you're a sinner and you believed that the only way that you could go to heaven and have your sins forgiven was to accept what Jesus did for you on Calvary, when that took place, you were forgiven and born again and saved. And what a powerful thing. To be forgiven means that the penalty of my sin, now what was that? Eternity in a place called the lake of fire. God forgave me and took that away, and guess what he gave me in return? Eternal life. I have been forgiven, released from the penalty of my sin. Now, can I say that when you and I forgive other people, we, there is a releasing that is done here. Even Webster's Dictionary carries with it the idea of this forgiveness. The old Webster's Dictionary, listen to this. It is a ceasing to feel resentment against an offender. It is giving up the claim to recriddle for an insult. It is granting relief from payment. So when you and I forgive a person, what we're basically doing is we're sending it away and no longer holding them responsible for the wrong that they committed. It is a letting go of a wrongdoing. It is moving on instead of dwelling on that sin and refusing to harbor it against them. That's the idea of this. But notice now the reckoning, the reckoning. The idea of this parable on forgiveness is to show that wrongdoing is like a debt. It's a debt that either will be forgiven and released, no longer to be brought up again, or it'll be recorded in the books and brought up as leverage. And I think we see that here. The first man who has a massive debt comes to the Lord and realizes he owes it. 
And as he begins to plead before that Lord, before that king, that king shows mercy to him and forgives the debt. Now, I don't know how much sooner after that it could have been that he left the office of that king and walked outside and met that other man. It could have been a day later, a week later, a month later, but sometime after that, he meets somebody who owes him a minuscule debt compared to what he owed. And boy, he got all over that person, grabbed him by the throat. You owe me. You pay right now. And just like that first man did to the king, so this man begged for mercy. Give me a chance. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. And that man called the police, said, take this man, bring him into prison, and he owes this to me. Can I say when it comes to forgiveness, there's only two options. It's either you're going to choose to forgive or you'll choose to hold on to it and hold it against that person that has wronged you. It's a choice. It's a choice that comes about in forgiving. Some of you, the choice is that you're not going to forgive. You say, I'll never forgive that person for what they've done to me. That person's going to have to prove themselves in order to gain my trust again. I'm not going to forgive them. But notice what verse 15 says. Look at verse number 15. I love this in Matthew 18. We didn't read this, but this is part of the context of Jesus dealing with the church. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Notice that. That's somebody who's hurt you. A trespass, a sin. They've wronged you. So somebody's wronged you. You know what we do? Here's what we do. We wait. They're the wrong one that wronged me. It's their duty to come to me. And I'm going to just stand right here and I'm going to wait till they come right here and talk to me. Make it right. That's our attitude. But that's not what the Bible says. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, what's the next word? Would you all say that a little louder? That's you. Go. No, I'm waiting. All right, you're disobeying God. God tells you to go and not to excuse it, not to throw flowers out, not to say, all right, I'm going to be a doormat. Yeah, I always have to forgive. I'm always the one that has to give in on this stuff. No, no. You go and tell him his fault. Tell him how you've been wronged. Let them know what's happened. Let them know the deal of what's gone on. But seek their forgiveness because otherwise you're going to be holding on to this and you're going to be hurt through this life. I tell you, if you and I have this attitude, it will lead to some awful consequences. Either you'll make them pay or you're going to go ahead and pay it down yourself and release the debt. And that's what forgiveness is all about. But notice here, verses 31 to 34, the results of not forgiving. Let me read these again. When his fellow servants, so now these are the other managers, if you will. They saw what this guy that had been forgiven a huge debt, they saw what he did to the other manager. And they were very sorry. And they came and told unto the Lord, that is the king, all that was done. So that Lord, after that he had called them, said unto him, 
O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. You asked me to forgive you, and I did it. Shouldest now thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. There's an interesting word used in verse number 34, the word tormentors. The idea is being held in a prison, if you will. But it's more than just being tossed in prison because the word torment, you and I understand this word. There even is a related idea of torture, if you will, that is given here. And it's a punitive word here. It is a word of punishment and torture that is given to the inmate to bring about an understanding that there is a lack in a settling of the debt. I say, preacher, what does that have to do with me? I mean, okay, this guy, he didn't pay. He gets tossed into prison, gets tortured a little bit. Big deal. I've never seen him before. Can I say to you that those of you who have not forgiven somebody are in a debtor's prison? Did you hear what I said? You're in torments. You say, well, they're the one that's wronged. They're the one that hurt me. They're the one that did this. But I'm telling you, what's amazing to me as a preacher is that person often who did the wrong is walking about as if nothing's ever happened. They don't even think about it. But the person who's been wronged, every time the name of that person's brought up, you know what they did to me? I can't believe that person. I can't believe they'd show their face in church. They have all sorts of things that they say, and they throw their name under the bus, and they go ahead and talk bad about them and gossip about them and slander them. And what's happening is the lack of forgiveness is allowing this person to be in their prison of their own imagination. And they're being tortured. You and I may not be locked up somewhere physically, but our heart and our mind and our soul cannot get away from the fact that we've been hurt. And we feel the need to address it the way that we want to. We'll gossip. We'll slander. We'll go into isolation. We'll try to abuse back. We'll try to ruin that person's reputation. But all of it is done and has continued to, to be allowed. And we are being tortured through the process and tormented. But I'm glad the story doesn't just end there. We're just learning about a man who was forgiven a major debt and learning about another man who didn't forgive and got tossed in prison. But Jesus raises our attention up a little higher. All through this little story here, notice verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto. So in other words, as Jesus is giving this, he's sharing a story, he's crafting it the way he is, but he wants you to understand there's a great spiritual truth, and if you miss it, you're going to be hurt. 
Because the analogy and the picture that is given here is an illustration of the gospel and what God did for you as a believer. Listen to this. The first manager or servant that had a massive debt, can I just share this with you for just a moment now? We read this and we go, oh yeah, you know, he owed uh, 10,000 talents. All right, what's a talent? Okay, listen to this. A talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. You say, okay, preacher, what's a denarii? All right. A denarii was a day's wages. So this means that it would take a person 6,000 working days to earn one denarii. 16 to 18 years of labor. And this man owes 10,000 talents? Impossible to pay. An amount and a debt that is so massive that is growing possibly with interest that there is no way that he can pay it. And can I say today that truly you and I as people As we stand before God, we had an unbelievable debt. You say, preacher, look, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, you ought to meet my neighbor. You ought to come to my family gathering and meet that person that's in my family. They're nasty. They're awful. My friend, I want to tell you something. If you look at yourself, not before other people, but you compare yourself to a holy God, you will know and realize how awful of a sinner you really are. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and that all of the deeds that we have done and tried to do and tried to live for ourselves, none of that justifies before God. And therefore, you and I are walking around with this huge debt. Now, you can decide for yourself, well, I'm going to get rid of this debt. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. In fact, I got $2, I'll put it in the offering plate when I walk out. I'll make sure that I have a big smile when I come into church. I'll make sure that I get involved once in a great while in the church, and I'll do some things. And therefore, if I'm a nice person, and I'm good, and I'm faithful to church, and I give once in a while, I can overcome this debt, right? Wrong. There's no way to overcome that. Like this man that owed that massive debt, it was impossible to pay it back. Can I say to you today that if you're in your sin without Jesus Christ, you cannot be good enough to pay your sin debt at all. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to this earth to take upon himself human flesh to live, as it were, on this world and to not commit one single sin. Everybody around him knew he was sinless. Pilate knew it. His mom and dad knew it. 
The Pharisees knew it, even though they tried to trip him up. Everybody around him knew that he was sinless. In fact, the soldier that stood by him as he gave his last breath said, this was truly the Son of God. And Jesus died on the cross to pay what you could not pay. And for you to be saved, you have to acknowledge that. And you know what's amazing about this man? This man, when confronted with that debt, we read in the passages, he made no excuses. He didn't blame his surroundings. He didn't say how difficult life was for him, and that's why he had such a huge debt. He didn't blame anybody else around him. He didn't even blame the king for such a high debt. But he accepted ownership. And he did the only thing that he could do. And he pled for mercy. That day that I asked Jesus to be my Savior, I did what only I could do. And that is I pleaded to God for mercy. I came on that moment to understand I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't overcome this sin debt. And I cried out to Jesus for mercy. And he saved me. He forgave me. Why do you think I'm excited on days, Sundays to preach? And why do you think I like to share the gospel? Why do you think I, I enjoy being around other people who have been forgiven by God? Because there's something great that's happened. And the whole analogy here that Jesus is giving in his parable is, can I say to you, you and I have been forgiven much by God. And yet we come out and somebody lies against us and we go, I ain't forgiven that person. Uh-uh. They say something to us. They hurt us. And I, I, I'm not belittling any of the things that have happened. I would dare say that there are some of you, many of you, who have had some big, big hurts. And you say, preacher, I don't know if I can forgive. There is no greater debt than what God forgave us. Whatever it is that you've had happen in your life, whatever it is that you're not willing to let go, it really is small compared to the debt of sin that God paid for you. I'm telling you. That's why verse number 35 is so powerful. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Oh, I love what Jesus did for me. I love this little chorus. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt 
that I could never pay. You know what? You couldn't pay that debt. Nothing you could do. Jesus paid it all. How beautiful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I want to put this on the screen here. Notice these verses here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Notice Colossians 3.13, another one that will be put on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Do you know what your example is for forgiving? It's Jesus Christ. You say, should I forgive someone? Absolutely, because Christ forgave you. I close with this story. It's really a remarkable example of forgiveness. It's a story that a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom told in her powerful book, Tramp for the Lord. Now, you say that's an odd title. Well, let me share with you who Corey Ten Boom was, if you didn't know her. Corey Ten Boom actually worked against the Nazis in World War II, hiding Jews in her home. And she was able to do it for a period of time until she got caught along with her sister, and she was sent off to a concentration camp where she was stripped of all her dignity. She saw her sister and her father die, and she suffered more at the hands of other people than more at the hands of other people than most that she could possibly imagine. After the war was over, she's traveling through Germany and she's giving some messages to various groups of people about how God forgives. And at the end of a particular church service, she saw one of the most cruel guards in the concentration camp who was coming forward to speak to her at the conclusion of the service. And she recounts the incident, and I give it as she writes it in her book. This guard comes up to her and says, you mentioned Ravenstruck in your book, in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Corey writes, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and I could not forgive. I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into that one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And for a long moment, she says, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard 
and the former prisoner. You say, preacher, it's not easy to forgive. I know. I know. Mark Twain used to say, forgiveness is the fragrance which the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. I have two questions I'd like to ask, and then I'm going to have an invitation. Number one, who do you need to see who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Who is it that you've wronged that has wronged you? Maybe there's somebody that doesn't live here. And you need to send an email, text message, make a phone call, whatever it is. Do business with God. Number two question, what is holding you back from seeking that restoration? You say, preacher, I've had all sorts of people tell me, oh, that person's not worth it. I wouldn't forgive that person. Let me tell you, until you get alone with God, I wouldn't listen to what anybody else says. Get alone with God in His Word and let Him talk to you. Oh, there's all sorts of fightings against us to not restore and not seek forgiveness. But may God help us because truly... It is simply a choice. It's a choice you make. And today, you're going to be making a choice of whether you'll decide to go ahead as you've been forgiven to seek forgiveness from others. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, I did the best that I know how to try to share this text of Scripture. I pray that you would do something that I cannot do, and that is speak to the heart of every person here. There's some things that need to be addressed in people's lives. There's some strained relationships. There's some people who haven't spoken to family members for a very long time. And Lord, I recognize in Scripture that if we're going to be right with you, we've got to be right with other people. If we've been forgiven much, then it's important that we forgive those around us. Oh, forgiveness doesn't mean we condone their actions, doesn't mean that we allow it to be repeated over and over again, but it does mean that we've released them and we're not going to go about seeking out revenge and holding grudges against them. Lord, I just ask that you would guide us in this invitation. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like to just briefly ask this question. We talked about salvation. Maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm trying to get to heaven on my own. I'm trying to get forgiveness. And can I say right now, just stop. Stop what you're trying to do. Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not something you can work towards, but it's something that God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you'd like to be saved, I'd like to invite you right now to pray a simple prayer and ask the Lord in your heart. You say, preacher, can I do that right in my chair here? Yes, you can. You can ask the Lord to save you right now.